0: I am delighted to be here tonight. I appreciate the invitation to come to the capital city. I'm a country boy and uh, proud of it. Uh, I've met some other country folks here as well. Uh, I want to, first of all, deliver a message from the Brantley Fire and Rescue uh, Department. Some way, somehow, they have received some little dolls that were made at the Dalreda Church of Christ by you wonderful ladies. And they wanted me to be sure to express their appreciation for your love and for your generosity and to be sure to let you know that these will be put to good use. So if anybody sees you from Brantley and asks you, did Brother Jeff mention that, you be sure to say he really did. Hopefully tonight I can say something that will encourage you, that will help you in your walk in this world of darkness in which we live. The topic of discussion tonight will be from Acts, the fifth chapter, We'll be discussing specifically uh, verses 1 to 11. uh, The courage to be genuine. Now I had to work on that. Normally I say genuine. Did y'all ever say that? The courage to be genuine. Let's actually begin reading in Acts the 4th chapter beginning in verse 33. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all neither was there any among them that lacked for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the price of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles feet and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need and Joseph by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part. And laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not thine own? And why then hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on them all that heard these things. And the young men arose and wound him up and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much? And she said, Yea, for so much. And then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and they shall carry thee out. And then fell she down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church, and upon as many has heard these things. The courage to be genuine. We define the word courage as the ability to do something that we know is right or good, even though it's dangerous, frightening, or difficult. The synonym for courage would be bravery, nerve, valor, daring audacity backbone and a redneck might say guts or to be more politically correct intestinal fortitude well <clears throat> the antonym of that would be cowardness spineless chicken yellow the word genuine we would describe it, if it was talking about an object, to be something or, uh, that would be true as advertised. Sometimes you, you watch uh, WSFA TV, they have a little segment on there. They take a product and they do a test on it to make sure that that product uh, is genuine, that it really does what the label says it will do. Well, that's, that's genuine. When it's talking about people, uh, it has to do with not pretending to be something that you're not. The synonym would be real, authentic, legitimate, valid. What you see is what you get. And the, uh, the anonym would be a fake, a counterfeit, phony, bogus, Sham or false. Perhaps the best known term for a a disingenuous person would be what? Hypocrite. We've heard that. Uh, A hypocrite would be one pretending what he is not. The act of a false part. He's acting out a a false part. A deception as to real character and feelings. He's trying to hide... Uh, his true nature, what He really is. As we think about Jesus, He is the personification of genuine. The antithesis of, of hypocrisy. Not once did He pretend to be something that He was not. Not one time did Jesus ever try to pull the wool over anybody's eye. He never attempted even once to deceive one person. On one occasion in Luke 9, in verse 58, a man had come to Jesus and said, Lord, I will follow thee wheresoever thou goest. Jesus said to this man, The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He wanted this man to know. Look, if you commit to following me, don't think it's going to be a bed of roses. Don't think that it's going to be easy street. The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Are you sure you want to make that commitment? You see, Jesus was genuine. He he never tried to... Uh, deceive anyone. Uh, This man uh, thought that perhaps it would be easy, but Jesus wanted him to know that it was not. In our lesson tonight, when we look at the first verses we read from chapter 4, relative to Barnabas. There's a great contrast between Ananias and Sapphira and Barnabas. Uh, Barnabas was indeed a genuine person. He had the uh, character about him to to be what you see is what you get. He was a very benevolent person, uh, unselfish. All the things that we could say about Barnabas, the opposite would be true as far as Ananias and Sapphira were concerned. In this particular text, this is actually the first recorded sin of the church. And it had to do with covetousness. You remember Judas, one of the apostles of Christ, by transgression fell, Acts 1 and verse 25. And the reason was... Covetousness, 30 pieces of silver. The Bible has a lot to say about covetousness. In First Timothy 6, verses 6 to 11, Paul uh, talks about the love of money being the root of all sin. And that is, uh, from that root sin springs other types of sin. Covetousness, of course. And Ananias and Sapphira is an example of that. The sin of Ananias and Sapphira was not simply a sin of weakness. And therefore the warning, I believe, and the destruction that the Lord visited upon them. Up to this point, The problems faced by the church had been on the outside, persecution from without. But now then, there's a problem that's moved on to the inside of the church. And this first peril that the church faced here from the inside is the sin of covetousness. Now, uh, if I were to ask you What is the greatest problem the church faces today? We might get a number of answers. Someone might say, well, false doctrine. Well, surely that is a concern of any honest Christian as he looks at the the church today because of uh, the many false ideas that are being propagated. Maybe uh, uh, it might stem from the lack of respect for Bible authority. But what if I were to say that, and and I'm not minimizing those things that I've just mentioned there, but what about covetousness? Well, many people don't believe that. Covetousness, I believe, is one of the greatest things that the church faces today. The account given by Luke of Ananias and Sapphira is to remind me that the biggest danger I face in my spiritual life is covetousness. The first century church grew, even with outside persecution being brought against it. But covetousness is something that works from the inside. It will cause a person to lose their spiritual perspective. In fact, in Colossians 3 and verse 5, Paul said, Covetousness is idolatry. Now when we think of idolatry, we think of maybe a, an image that someone might fall down and in, in worship. To bow down to, to some uh, graven image or uh, you know that's that's our conception of, of idolatry, but Paul said that covetousness is idolatry. Well, these idols, these images, certainly were, uh, were the god of uh, gods of those people that worshiped them. But when I think of covetousness being idolatry, then that simply means that if I allow the things of this world to become my god then I'm an idolater. The covetousness, the, the things that we seek from, from the world, and it can cause one to, to lose their soul. It did Ananias and Sapphira. Normally I don't get through with these sermons, but I'm going to begin to make some points here, and I'll try to hurry along as fast as possible. But point number one, that that was the introduction, by the way. Point number one, the church is a refuge for sinners, but it's not a place to try to hide our sins. There's a great deal of difference. It's a place that our sins may be covered by the blood of Jesus, but not a place for me to come and to try to cover my sins. If we think the church is a shelter for me to cover my sins, we need to take note of Ananias and Sapphira and the solemn warning that it will not work. You can't do that. Secondly, as far as the human eye could see, the outward acts of Ananias and Sapphira were the same as Barnabas, as we mentioned in the fourth chapter Well, if that's the case, then why were they struck dead? It boils down to the motive and the attitude of heart that Ananias and Sapphira possessed. The attitude of Barnabas and the attitude of Ananias and Sapphira were again poles apart. While people that viewed all of this, they didn't know the difference, but God who looks upon the heart, he did know. Their their hypocrisy was not hidden from God. In 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7, For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. It was plain as day to the eyes of the Spirit of God. We may put our contribution in the collection basket just as others. The outward acts will be the same as everybody else. It might even be the same amount. Here was Ananias and Sapphira. They laid it at the apostles' feet just like the Bible said Barnabas did. No one knew what was behind the scene. But again, God knows what was was behind the scene. Ananias and Sapphira did not have the courage to be genuine as did Barnabas. And so this is something that we need to consider. The Bible says in Hebrews 4 and verse 13, neither is There any creature that is not manifest in His sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. Sometimes there's a TV show that comes on, Unsolved Mysteries. Anybody ever see that? Unsolved Mysteries. That's, That's a pretty good show. But let me tell you, on the day of judgment... There will be no such thing as an unsolved mystery. God will know because He is a discerner of the thoughts and the very intents of the heart. Uh, Hebrews 4 and verse 12. And So when we study the case of Ananias and Sapphira, the courage to be genuine, it ought to give us pause to reflect on the genuineness of, Of my action, especially when it comes to giving back to God. Do I have the courage to be genuine in my giving? Point number three, Peter traced this sin to its source. Why has Satan filled thine heart to lie unto the Holy Spirit? You see, it was a heart problem. Did Satan, the father of lies, force Ananias and Sapphira to do what they did? In Luke 22 and verse 3, Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. The question is, who allowed Satan into the heart of Judas? Did did Satan kick the door down and, and just go on in? No, Judas opened the door. Ananias and Sapphira opened the door. We let him in. Covetousness, both cases. Behind it all was covetousness. James 4 and verse 7, the Bible says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus resisted the devil with the Word of God. Wish we had time to talk about that. In 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. That's a, a continual, ongoing process. The devil has no mercy on you or me or anyone. You ever watch Wild Kingdom? You can tell I watch a lot of TV. <clears throat> Wild Kingdom, uh, those old lions that they show on there sometimes. Uh, do you ever see how ruthless those things are? A uh, 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 innocent, helpless, uh, maybe a, uh, a little baby, uh, whatever, over there in Africa. <laughs> uh, Maybe a little calf, one of those those little antelopes. Does that lion have mercy on that weak animal? He doesn't. He's bloodthirsty. His mission is to seek and destroy. Well, uh, the devil's like that, Peter said. He's a roaring lion. Walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Number four, we look at another thing in connection with this sin. Peter said, they had lied, but they had lied also with their conduct. Here's something we need to see. Yes, they pretended that this gift was more than it really was. And if Peter had not asked Sapphira the question, tell me whether you sold it for so much. She was still going to... Uh, to lie about, about their action, you see. And this teaches us that we can not only lie with our tongue, but we can lie with our life as well. If our life does not match our profession, then we're living a lie. Do I have the courage to be genuine in my everyday walk of life? Sometimes it takes courage to to be genuine, especially when there's so much peer pressure on us, uh, But we need to be genuine in our everyday walk of life. Number five, another lesson we lo- learn from this. There was liberty and freedom granted. Peter said it belonged to them before and after the sale. It was in their own power, the Bible says. They could distribute it as they deemed necessary. This was not a tax. And the idea that the early church, having having all things common, being some form of of communism or socialism, that's, that's not what the Bible teaches. This was voluntary. There was no command telling them to sell everything they had. It was voluntary. Each person, in keeping with the principle of stewardship, was given the freedom to disperse their goods as they saw fit. But again, they were not genuine in doing that. We mentioned that the sin of Ananias and Sapphira was more than a mere sin of weakness. If we study this, we'll see that the sin of Ananias and Sapphira was a premeditated sin. And again, it's my opinion that this is the reason the severe judgment of God was brought uh, upon them. This was not some split-second weakness on their part. It was planned. It was agreed upon. It was premeditated. They had talked about it. They discussed it. They formulated a plan by which they thought they could intentionally deceive. But they found out they couldn't. They pretended to give the the sum total. In Acts five verses eight and nine, we read, and Peter answered her. Now, uh, when he said he answered her, "Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much." If only Sapphira had had the courage to be genuine at this point. It seems that. Peter was giving her a chance to come clean. Tell me now, how much did you get for this land? And then she said, "Yea, for so much. Yeah, that's right. That's, That's exactly right. And then Peter said unto her, how is it that you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Again, she was privy to it. They had planned the whole thing. It's interesting. In this particular verse, the Bible says that when she came in, Peter answered her. The indication is that she may have asked a question of uh, or made a statement of some kind. Now, did she inquire about uh, where where Ananias nice was? She may, you know, she might have been looking for him. Sometimes. Uh, you know, in a, you, you go to a strange place and your wife goes ahead of you and sits down. You try to find out where she's at. Maybe she was looking for Ananias. I don't know. She may have asked Peter, where is Ananias? Maybe she thought that, uh, you know, they both needed to be uh, patted on the back. That they'd be recognized in some way or other. You know, she might have thought that that liberality that they showed would would be really praised by the congregation there. She may have asked, why are y'all in such a somber mood? Why, it looks like y'all just got back from a funeral. Well, uh, the point we're making was this was a premeditated sin. And consequently, the severe Judgment we learn also that a sin may be commi- committed in engaging in the right action itself. I think this is point number seven if you' taking notes. It was right to sell the land and to give whatever part of it they wanted to uh, back uh, to the apostles and to the church there. But the fact that I'm doing something good within itself does not necessarily mean that the sin is not connected with the the very act that I'm I'm engaging in. It was here in our text. Now, it was right and good for them to, to give. But again, the motive and the attitude that they had, the motive and the attitude that I have determines whether or not the Lord is going to accept what I offer to Him. In Matthew 6 and verse 1, the Sermon on the Mount, there were those who were giving alms. Well, that's a good thing, wasn't it? Well, they were giving alms, but again, Jesus said all the reward they're going to, to, to receive is the praise of men. Uh, they were praying, they were standing in the synagogue on the street corners making these long prayers. All the reward they received was recognition from men. They were engaging in right acts, but but the motive behind that particular act nullified what, what they were doing, you see. And that can happen. It's right to pray. But why do we pray? What are our motives? In James 4 and verse 3, the Bible says, Ye ask and receive not. Because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lusts. I worked with an old boy one time. Uh, uh, he went uh, every uh, Friday afternoon over in the edge of Florida, bought him a handful of lottery tickets. He'd come back and, and, uh, and he said, I got to pray about this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, he, you know, he, he was praying, man, I hope I can win this lottery. I can quit working. I can buy me a boat. And, and you know, Well, that's, he was wanting to do what? It was right to pray, but from the wrong motive, you see. It's right to give, but why do we give? It's a test of our attitude. It's a test of our character. It's right to observe the Lord's Supper why do we do that? What are our motives in observing the Lord's Supper each Lord's Day? Do our minds really reflect on what the Lord has done for us? Can we visualize Jesus as He hung suspended between heaven and earth as He shed His precious blood that I might have the forgiveness of my sins? Or am I thinking about Man, I got to hurry to get be first in line at the buffet, or a thousand other things that we could think about. You see, our our motives, our actions must be genuine. We must have the courage to to do that. It's right to sing, but why do we sing? Uh, why do we uh, sing? Praises to God. Well, the Bible says that's what we're supposed to do. Well, yes, we we are supposed to do that. But do we meditate upon the messages of these grand old hymns? Uh, Give me the Bible. We sing that loud and long sometimes. But then when we leave the building to... Do we throw it on the table and never pick it up again, maybe till next Sunday? Uh, see, our motives go a long way in, in determining whether or not God accepts our actions, our worship. He's a spirit. Those that worship Him must worship Him in spirit. That has to do with, with my attitude, my thinking, my heart. Heaven will surely be worth it all. You sing that sometimes? Well, do we mean that? Will heaven surely be worth it all? Can I truly say that I am sacrificing all that I can and doing all I can that I might gain heaven? So our attitude goes a long way in determining whether or not the Lord will accept what we're offering to him what time you got brother is it they're not a trap is that that about it okay two minutes oh okay I tell you what you you just you just uh, (laughs) Uh, point number eight This was a ten-point sermon, but this is the eighth point. It was a liberal gift, but yet, again, it was not accepted. Uh, uh, Such is implied, it seems here. Uh, They made it appear genuine, but in reality, it was far from being so. If we were to contrast that with a widow's mite in Mark, the twelfth chapter, you remember the widow who gave the two mites, the two mites. Jesus said, as he was sitting over next to the treasure. And by the way, Jesus sees what we give. There, he says he was sitting over there next to the treasure. He is watching those that were putting in their gifts. And here comes this poor widow, and she puts in two mites. And then he calls his disciples and said, "Hey, she has given more than than all of them. Two mites. She's given more than than all of them. Yeah." She she made a, a, a real sacrifice. There was those that had much, they put in much, and they kept much. But here was this poor widow that put in all that she had. And he said, she's given more than all. It's interesting that all the wrong going on at the temple didn't turn her away from her need for God. She understood That she needed God. And she went there with a right motive. A place of meeting God. I need God. Why do you come to worship? Why are you here tonight? Because you need God. We all do. But we must have a heart that offers Him our best All the time and from the right motives. Appreciate your attention.